my name is Hannah Gadsby. And I feel confused about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk and lose, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I'm Conan O'Brien. I guess that part was obvious. Not many people have my deep bass voice. I'm joined by my assistant, Sona Mosesian. How are you, Sona? I'm doing great. Are you? Yeah. Why do you have your fingers up at your mouth? I don't know. I was biting my nails because I'm a nail biter. Are you a nail biter? I am. Yeah. Sucks. You know, um, when we were kids and we would suck our thumb and our mom wanted us to stop, she took that clear stuff that you uh, strengthen your fingernails with, that what? varnish, and she put it on our thumbs. Oh. And oh, when we really? put our mouths... But then the problem is that reflexively, my thumb would go into my mouth at night, and then I would wake up with all of this. Oh. Yeah. But here's the kicker to the story. I was 24 at the time. <laughs> oh, man. I am not surprised. Yeah. yeah. She did the right thing. And I was, I was uh, sleeping in a giant crib. <laughs> but that's... Uh, it was more of a sexual thing for me. Uh, Matt Gorley is here. Matt, how are you? Oh, better now that I've heard all that. <laughs> we all have our different fantasies, and uh, mine is to be a six foot four inch Irish baby. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Is, uh, you did yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and my nurse is Sophia Vergara. Oh, oh my God. What? Where yeah, is she this comes going? in and says, Oop, and naughty, you know. <laughs> She's Asian? I don't know. I didn't. I just went. I don't know what happened there. She was eating something when she came in the room. She was eating like some quiche. So his mouth was a little full. Um, Icarumba? I don't know what she would say. Oh, Uh, my God. Move on. Dot org. Whatever it takes. Just move on. Just introduce what's happening. What is happening? I don't know. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who's trying to earn a living. Uh, one of the hardest ways you can earn a living with a podcast. <laughs> if I had a choice between digging a ditch with my bare hands or doing a podcast, I got to tell you, that'd be a toss up because this is a very dangerous job. And there's a lot of physical labor involved moving these mics around and drinking water. Okay, let's get into it. <laughs> Stupid. I um, <laughs> Uh, I am very excited to talk to our guest today. Uh, she uh, is, in my opinion, uh, a brilliant and brave performer, writer, you name it. She is just a very impressive person, and I'm thrilled uh, that she's here. She exploded under the scene. She'd been around, actually, doing comedy for quite a while, but in 2018, she did a Netflix special entitled Nanette, and it was a seismic cultural event, one of the most discussed television happenings of the year, uh, if not the most discussed. It was uh, absolutely breathtaking. She is now touring with a new show called Douglas, and I'm overjoyed that I get a chance to mind meld with her today. Hannah Gatsby, thank you for being here. How's yeah. it going so far? Uh, it's going well for me. Cool. I'm delighted I just met you minutes ago. Mm. 
And uh, I am delighted, and I don't use the word delighted often. You've used it several times, very quickly. <laughs> it, will, it, will soon, it will soon be revealed that yeah. I don't know many other words. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> yeah. I'm so delighted with you right now. I'm furious. Uh, I am an admirer. I wish I could use a stronger word. I'm trying to figure out what's a better word than Desirer? admirer. Stalker. Desirer, stalker. <laughs> um, Long-time fan, first-time caller. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get this right. Yeah. I am uh, a massive admirer of your work, and I really was uh, blown away when I saw Nanette. I know you hear this from a lot of people, and I hate to be the person who's saying the same thing you've heard over and over and over and over again, but I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was spectacular, and I watched it. I'm so glad you watched it after all that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good no, I was, Google work. I was just working off of a. I was just working off of an article on BuzzFeed. Uh, it was a list, but the I felt so many things afterwards. There are maybe 35. We can't get to all of them, but there are 35 things that you've brought up uh, in your work in that performance alone, and and just in your comedy that have got my mind reeling. And when I found out that you were willing to come and do the show, I was so relieved because I thought, I, I want to talk to you personally, and I want to connect with you in this, uh, in this way that can only happen in a podcast. Because um, if we talked in real life, it wouldn't be recorded and no one would make money. And I, I'd walk away. Yeah. Like I do, like I, I have a, this is a good, like, Oh, I know what's happening here. In, in, in conversation, sometimes I go, I think it's finished. <laughs> and it hasn't, but it's too late. So you would have by now just walked away, probably. Yeah, you do pause. And I wasn't sure, but I knew because everyone's still sitting and I'm taking my cues. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I wasn't done. I do intend to go on. Yeah. No, it's okay. <clears throat> I, 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 Anything I can do to help you? No, no, this is all great. Okay. I'm tethered. I'm good. Yeah. Yes, you are actually. You're wearing a, a headset that yeah. is uh, tethered to the table, so there's yeah. nowhere you can go. Nope. And this is uh, <clears throat> my chance to talk to you about so many things. I'm going to start with self-deprecation and your special, Nanette. You sucker us in beautifully with great, great self-deprecating humor. And then you talk about the pitfalls of being self-deprecating and some of the problems with it. And so you gave such a compelling argument for not doing self-deprecating humor. You made a very compelling argument for why I should go away. And I'm not even kidding around. And so I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, I've, I'm finding myself in an interesting position now because... Like, part of the reason why self-deprecation was bad for me was because I exist in a marginalised, several marginalised identities. But post-Nanette, I'm in a, I've got a powerful platform now. Like, mm -hmm. I have quite a, quite a, a voice and a platform, and so now is the time to be self-deprecating. But I can't, I won't be self-deprecating about those intersections of marginalised identities. So I'm not going to make fun of my, my physicality. Um, I'm not going to make fun about my gender and my sexuality, but just right. being generally hopeless, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's still on the table. I think so, yeah, because that's, you know, that's universal. We're all idiots. <laughs> that's, uh, that, I'm so glad you said that because um, over the years, many people after my show became established, I think to many people, they would look at me and they would think, well, that's hollow. He's being self-deprecating but he's a white man in America with a television show 
And That's a minority. Would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't enough of us. And I thought my self-deprecation went onto my hard drive at a very young age when I was none of the things that I am now. And it, it, I was anxious. Not always white. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to get into it, no. No, I was not always white. You've changed. Yes, I have changed. But why did I go for this shade of white? It's so it's silly. It's a real commitment. I could have gone. I could have gone for an off-white. I mean, there's so many ways I could have gone. I, um... An ecru. No one uses that word enough. Uh, That's not going to help. That's not going to help me? No, not, no, not just the word. Okay. No one's going to hear okay. that and go, must slip that into <laughs> my conversation. Yes, they will. Someone out there is writing down ecru right now. How do you spell it? It's, I think it's E-C-R-U. Cool. And I was just to help the person who's writing it down. Okay. Well, I was in the midst of telling you about my childhood pain and torment, and you got us off on the spelling of ecru. <laughs> And now I'm less than delighted because that's still the only word I know. Happy to help. Happy to help. <laughs> Tell me about but, the pain of your child. Well, I don't know. I, I, I felt when I was much, much younger, uh, anxiety and lots of just negative feelings that I think a lot of young people feel. And I downloaded all that into my comedy and then it never changed. And so it's a reflex. It's a reflex and it's there and it's a little bit my approach to the world. And I have never minded that that was my approach to the world, but I have often thought, especially after seeing your special, it made me think a lot about ways in which self-deprecating humor can stunt what it, it can stunt you. It can freeze you in that moment of powerlessness and anxiety and reinforce it over and over and over again. And I watched it and I thought, I believe you're right. Yeah, well, there's always that, um, that conversation. It's like, oh, all comedians are depressed. And it's like, yeah, because <laughs> a, a lot of comedians work with self-deprecation. And it's that, you know, there's an investment in being a bit hopeless. Like, there's an investment in being, you know, you're not going to make... Many people laugh if you're high status. Very few comedians get away with that. They're like, I'm nailing life. No, it's like, no one cares. Um, you know who you're, uh, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but Jerry Seinfeld seems to be this strange exception where his manner is very much, I'm good and everything's okay. He's and human neutral. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like the perfect straight white man, you know? He's just like, yeah, he's not, he doesn't even have red hair. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> it's like, you yeah, know, he's made some bad decisions on the hair and the shoe front, but other than that, right, like, right. he's fine. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's a lot of pre pressure, particularly on, I think, guys to, you've got to be likable. And the, the best way to be likable is to be self deprecating. But in this world, we're finally recognizing, you know, the, the, the perils of power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, there's a lot of, particularly guy comics, who don't know they have. They're in a privileged position because they've worked their entire life going, I'm just a little guy. And, you know, life's hard for me because I'm not the perfect guy. But now it's like, hmm, but being a guy is an advantage. And yes. so, you know, there's, there's floundering to be had. Yes. And so uh, when I watched Nanette, there are so many things that started spiraling in my head, not just self-deprecation because I thought, okay, I can't, I got to table that, but... Hannah really has me thinking about this and um, ways in which it might be seen as false, ways in which it might be false, ways in which it might be stunting me from finding something else or communicating in a different way. 
Yeah, I think I think I think it's an enormously helpful, you know, way to grow. Like you know, it's the compost. You know, pile of shit on, and that. But then you know, you can't just you. You know, I think that's where I was in my career. Like I was, you know, 10, 12 years in. Not definitely not eleven. And um, <laughs> and uh, and just going. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> like it's just unless I kept repeating the same angle, and I I was growing. You know, with confidence because I was, you know, reasonably. It sounds silly now, but I was doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Now it's silly, but so it's sort of a, you know, I felt stunted, and I was watching, you know, bitterness creep into my attitude, and that's never been, you know, professional jealousy, and it's just like, you know, it's like that doesn't make sense. So there's all sorts of things that are no longer part of my life now because it's changed so much. But that was part of the writing of it, just to break out of a rut. What you did in Nanette is so raw and so real, and that is the power of it. And now you have people that might be saying, we can get you 190 dates doing that, or we can, you know, (laughs) 35 Netflix specials, and you're being asked to, you know, crank it out. Do you know what I'm saying? That's something we do in America is, in the UK, if something's good, they make six of them, and they're done. In the United States, we make... We say, let's just keep making these until everyone hates them. Yeah, which is great. That's a easy way, a retirement plan. Right. You know, I'll keep I'll keep churning this out till I'm hated, and then I'll just I will quit, like I promised. No, but um, I I'm very inert. I'm good at being inert. I'm feeling that pull, but I'm I'm not so much doing it. I mean, I've written a new show, and I'm about to start touring it. But you know, I feel a slight advantage. In that sense, is like uh, a lot of comedians I work with started when they were teenagers. I was in my late 20s. So there was a lot. There's a lot of unmined material. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've been working quietly on the other side of the world for 12 years, honing my craft. And now suddenly I'm here, but I've got, I've got a whole life, you know. Although I did, I do regret packing so much into Nanette. That's, that could have been three shows. <laughs> <laughs> They could uh, release it separately. Exactly. (laughs) Tolkien. And Tolkien was one of the writers, I understand, (laughs) helped you with parts of it. The part where you go in the misty forest lost me. (laughs) Felt unnecessary, but. Yeah, you know, it's a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) It's just getting you to the next thing. There's a, uh, I feel it anyway, this, what's next? What's next? What's next? What are you going to do next? I was very fortunate that someone else had the idea for this podcast and said, would you do a podcast? And I, I didn't, I wasn't that excited at first. I thought, why would I do a podcast? I've been doing a TV show forever. Why am I working my way into radio? And I've absolutely loved it because it is a completely different rhythm and it's a rhythm that I love. It's a rhythm that I find really exciting and honest. And, and also I get to talk to people I really, really, really want to talk to the way I want to talk to them. So not much of a risk there, obviously, a, a, a white male doing a podcast, as I said. <laughs> not a big risk, but uh, a huge reward to try something new. And I'm just curious for you, you say you're fairly inert, <laughs> but that would be a strong temptation, I would think. People are coming at you and saying, okay, we know you have a new show, but can you come speak here? Can you come speak there? And when you, can you, can you retell some of the parts of Nanette that are, must be very painful for you to talk about. They clearly were in the special and now there might be pressure to. Yeah, it's out there. Um, It it exists. And it's, I will, I don't really want to talk about, you know, to that directly anymore because it was painful and I toured it for, you know, 18 months 
before it even aired. So it was, you know, I performed that show in front of crowds of like 30 and 90 people, which is not a comedy show. It's someone kicking off at a family reunion, you know, like it was <laughs> right, gr- right. gruelling, you know. And it is like I broke the code. Like I broke the, the contract of comedy and I knew what I was doing and I knew that was going to be Why do you Why do you think you broke a code? What code do you think you broke? The, the people are relaxed, you know. They don't have their defences up. They're not in there ready to, you know, receive trauma. And that's what I did. I made them relax and then I did that to them. So that's a violation, essentially. So I had to take care of them. So that's why the show is written so precisely. You know, I do leave people in these, you know, it's quite, it's quite a hard place. So, but doing that in the room is, you know, at least when people are watching it in their home, they can pause, turn off, walk away, whatever. Or, they, you know, they're in a, but there's a whole room of people getting something they certainly did not expect. And so it's kind of like a exhausting for me, you know, 18 months of that. I have a very strong reaction to anybody. And I didn't hear it a lot, but I, I heard that there were people who thought, well, wait a minute, um, is this stand-up? It starts out as stand-up and then it becomes this. And I had a very... My, my view of those people is like, well, you're not a human. Like, if yes. your, first thing, your first thing is after watching that going, wow, it's not technically comedy. It's just like, what is yeah. wrong with you? No, exactly. <laughs> like, well, don't watch it again, fine, but what is wrong with you? Like, if that's, like... Well, first of all, where is the rule? It's it's well, it's, it's, all, an, it's, it's all made an, up. I know, but it's an hour. It's an it's a it's an hour and ten minutes of you in a microphone. It is going to be what you want it to be, and, and it was powerful. And at no moment did you lose me, and I laughed a lot. And then you also you also did what I think great art, great theater, great works of writing are supposed to do. It got in me and in, and wouldn't let me go and made me think about a lot of things in a way that I was very grateful for. And so I was very, I was very angry with anybody that had a bit of a like, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is, this is a beautiful, powerful piece of work and I will fight anybody. <laughs> who, who, this is great. No, I mean, no, I, I really did feel that way. Well, I, well, it never really happened in the live shows. Like that's not, but once I guess it went on, people in their own spaces that's happened a little bit more and particularly here I think you have a different stand-up culture than we have in the UK and Australia so it's more long distance runner as opposed to a sprint mm-hmm. but two interesting people that I thought about when I wrote the show was Donald Trump Trump and Taylor Swift you know what I was going to finish that sentence for you <laughs> together again yeah well you know because <laughs> it was, was like we've all heard it yeah we all put those two because I was kind of watching with horror, you know, Donald Trump and his rallies, right? In the, right. you know, this was before he was not even nominated, but just those, and it was like he's not saying anything. And he's like, you know, it's, and, uh, you know, just watching that group mob mentality. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Taylor Swift, I, I went through a brief obsession just only because I wanted to understand. I still don't, but I really studied it hard. Um, the, like, the Taylor Swift of it all. You what, ta- what is this Swift? Yeah. What is it? What, what, what does she? Um, I couldn't. I couldn't understand. I mean, it's fine, but it's like that. A lot of people think it's more than fine, and they're like, oh, she writes her own songs. I'm like, mm, if you, you 
Lucky red words. Um, I mean, rain's a I will strong. Not, I will not sit here and listen to this. Rain is a strong metaphor, but it shouldn't carry an entire career. But um, <laughs> that's no, no good honor. Good honor. Good honor. I yeah. really don't have a problem. But I did study study the Swift, and um, the uh, during her 1989 world tour, I think it's called the the Clean Speech. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of this. I am not. That would make me a creep. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it makes me a creep too. I really don't feel I'm the demographic, but it was it was um, intellectual. Um, but so uh, it, it, she just sort of in her concerts went up on this like platform uh, with a keyboard and she stood there and was just like, like a messiah, <laughs> just yeah. talked to this huge crowd and they're like crying going, this is profound. And... I got some transcripts and just studied them. And I'm like, she has said nothing. (laughs) Like, she has genuinely not said anything. Like, she meant it, whatever she didn't say. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she really meant it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I I think it was that sort of, you know, that, that vagueness of speech that people were just like, oh, well, I want this, so they fill in the blanks. Yes, you know, like yes. it's, it's preaching to a, a convert to the converted, yes. quite quite literally. But I was, I was quite fascinated with that, and it happens in the room, like it's a live. You know, they, they, these things wouldn't work on on TV. So I was fascinated with that that mob mentality, and I'm like, I don't think that's healthy. You know, like that's not how you open a closed mind. Right. Like if you, so that's why I, I started to go. Oh, I need to shatter that illusion. Like break the audience up so people are like, I don't know how to react because no, that consensus has been broken so people are left as individuals in, in the room. So that was how my muses. Yeah, oh, I just... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I wish the show had ended with uh, dedicated to Donald Trump and Taylor Swift. and Everyone would have known just what you were talking about. I've never admitted that. It's quite the admission, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, we have this tradition of the stand-up special where someone prowls the stage and... I didn't move. The, yeah, exactly. I was going to say you are like a master matador. You you didn't move. No, you didn't, you didn't move. I don't think you moved an inch. And in fact, at one point you went and you went to take a... a, a a sip of water. I think it's maybe one or two points during the show, but when that happened, it was electrifying. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had moved, it was so minimal, and you didn't move. That was a really conscious decision I made early on because I I chose to stand still because I thought, well, that's a thing I don't ever have to make a decision about during perform, performance of it. You know, literally taking a stand so that because it's a lot of heavy lifting. Yes. In the show. You know, emotional, I guess, but you know, also the show. I think is it's technically, you know, if you had all the material that I, it's three or four strands, four, three, three and a half hours long, all up. So mm-hmm. I would pull it together and take every performance was slightly different. So it was alive in the in every room that I did it. So that's why I thought, well, let's not throw walking and thinking into the same, <laughs> the same moment. I thought um, you are so eloquent and clearly well-read and clearly have thought through everything so well, I thought that added a lot to the performance, that your language was so precise. Was that a choice or you're just really, really smart, which I know you are? 
column A, column B. Um, <laughs> I always found myself working a lot and I found that being intelligent was disarming for this bundle, you know, being quiet, quietly intelligent actually worked early on for me. And I think audiences are quite smart generally. Like I yes. think, and I think they're getting incre- increasingly more intelligent, particularly with comedy, because we've got access to comedy all the time now. Like there was a time when, you know, the only time you could watch comedy usually was on TV unless you were, you know, in a city that had a live scene. But generally, you know, that's not much of the world in the scheme of things. And so you you had a very small amount of comedy and that, that was what you were left with. Um, now you can watch comedy anytime you like. And I think... So that, I think, is great for the form because it's like, well, we can really push it now because people have got the yuck yuck sorted. Anyone can just Google cat videos. They're fine. They can have laughs like that. So that, that I think it's blown the, you know, so much potential in, you know, in the idea of what, what stand-up can be. And it's, it's, I think it's become much more specialised. It used to be, everything's become more specialised. Entertainment's become more specialised. You can find the exact thing that you want to find because there's so many different small niches that are possible now when there used to be, at least in this country, there were three networks and that was it. Here are the shows, here's Happy Days, here's Laverne and Shirley, shut the fuck up and go to bed. And that's what you got. I didn't mean to shout at you all like that. <laughs> no, no, that was kind of, like, that's real insight into your, your life there. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley, shut the fuck up, go to bed. Um, that's how my, uh, my mother used to speak to me. <laughs> Good on her. She raised yeah. you well. Yeah, she did. She, did um, <laughs> she was a sailor, um, <laughs> but a very good sailor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mums usually are. <laughs> Don't know what that means. <laughs> we'll be right back with more things that aren't true. <laughs> We're back. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> oh, it's really good. I even read it as you said it. Yeah. It's something I noticed that I thought was brilliant. I loved it because I've never seen anybody do this and no one's had the guts to do this. And so many people talk about the brave aspects of your show and there are so many of them, so many brave moments. But the one that I don't hear about is that you go after Picasso. <laughs> And brave on so many levels. No, but no one. He is always held up as the example of, well, you can't, I mean, Picasso. And I just love that you just said, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't like him. I think cubism is shit. Uh, no, no, I, cubism's fine. Like Georges Braque, let's bring him up into the world. But it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, also it, it, he's just a mythology now. Nobody really is moved by a Picasso now. Not emotionally. At the time, sure, he was doing something. You know, and I could say the same thing for Nanette. Maybe in five, ten years' time, I, you know, more people have done things, you know, grown the idea that I've thrown out there and Nanette doesn't move people in ten years' time because the conversation's changed. Mm-hmm. It's of the time. Picasso does not move people now. Occasionally you go, oh, he's good with a line, but essentially, <laughs> like, he's an historical figure and the only reason he moves people is because of his worth and yes. his worth is built on his mythology and I just don't have time for it. It's just like it's only rich men buy Picassos and that's why they talk about it. That's why he's worth it and he's, he's all right. Keep him in the museums. Keep the conversation going, sure, but add a few other people in there and let's keep in the story that he was a prick biscuit. Like, he was an <laughs> asshole. And he was, but, you know, we can learn, we could have learned from that. But it was enabled, right? And that's, you know, by not 
looking at that and thinking about that and, you know, making sure that that's part of his story, we've still got those guys yep. who are getting away with stuff and people who allow them to get away with stuff because that's the culture because we think, oh, we can't exist without the genius. But gen- genius is like, it's an event, not a person, and it's replaceable. Like, it'll always, you know, where there's a need, artists will fill it, but, you know, you don't have to... Like, you put an artist on a pedestal, they're no longer responding to the world. They're not breathing the same air. Right. So I get, it's bullshit. <laughs> no, I've also, it's also driven me crazy when people say things like, well, if, you know, if it weren't for Newton, we wouldn't know about gravity. And I think, yeah. uh, listen, Newton was amazing and I'm not going after Newton. Uh, <laughs> that's your job to go after Newton. But um, no, someone else would have figured it yeah, out. So like, you know. He was brilliant in his moment at that time. But whenever people think that uh, had Thomas Edison not come up with the light bulb, would still in 2019 be stumbling around in the dark. Uh, I want to fight them in a bar. A dark bar. But Very dark bar. <laughs> Just swinging wildly and yeah. hoping to connect with someone. Yeah, yeah, you would eventually. No, I, I, if you've seen me fight, no. <laughs> it's sort of like freckled pasta whipping around. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. no, that's an image. Yeah, two yeah. strands of freckled pasta just flailing yeah. on a, on a uh, sort of ill-made turbine. Oh, like- Steam-powered, spinning, and it's really just sad. You, um, it's a good image, though. Thank you. I'm, I'm working on it. Is it like a Lazy Susan, like a steam-powered Lazy Yeah, steam-powered Lazy Susan. <laughs> That you've stapled two pieces of freckled pasta to. The pasta's... I've got, uh, like, I just had that image, you know, those inflatable car sales. Yes, yes, that flip thing. and flop around, yeah. yes, in front of a car lot where yeah. they're selling cars. That's you fighting in a dark bar. Yes, <laughs> yes. Imagine that without being able to see it, hitting no one. This is quite zen now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say something else. Cool. And I think I'm allowed to. Yeah. Because my name is somewhere in the show. Go for it, kiddo. Um, I'm not a fan of the angry comic on stage because a lot of times I think, wait a minute, they're man- they're really not that angry about uh, getting a bag of peanuts on an airline. They they're really not that angry. This is manufactured. There are moments where you're quite angry and upset, and you're expressing that, and it is profound. Well, the the filming of it was actually kind of even more difficult than usual because my mum was in the audience and that wasn't supposed to be. I, I heard about this. Your mother is, was, did you did you know before you went out that your mother would be in the crowd? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd been looking after her all day. Um, <sighs> you know, so, and then she's, I, I did a whole run at the opera house at, before I filmed it like a couple of months earlier and I kept saying, do you want to, do you want to pop up and, what are you, I'm playing in the opera house, you come up and see. And she's like, nah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she's a pirate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's no time. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, <laughs> so she's, um, I organised the date for the filming. She's like, I'm going to pop up for that. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, I might do it now. So it's sort of like, oh, bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I couldn't do it. I had to do it. So, but so that, and as it happened, I could see her because she's got quite a distinct white crop of hair. And, you know, it's just sort of like in my eye line. And when I did this certain bit, I just saw her slump, you know, like, mm. and I just, it was 
It was a lot. I cannot imagine that. I uh, I think I can have a good imagination. I can't imagine talking about something that potent and your mom is is there. And I and know that she's, you know, going, oh, I let my daughter down, and, which is not what I was saying, but, you know, that's your, that's your thing. That's, of course she's going to think that in that room, you know, like. So that really, you know, I can say with all confidence that was a genuine performance because of that. Also, yeah. you know, like I, I just think the, you know, separation of comedy from drama is not the smartest thing we've ever done. Like it, historically, you know, they've always coexisted. Yeah. You know, I don't think I've done anything new. I've just reminded of why it works so well. So, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what I do next. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. It's frightening, isn't it? Uh, you have, where do you go from Nanette? You know, what's what's the next? You have another canvas now. Uh, so it's, um, I don't know why I stopped talking, but I did, didn't I? Um, <laughs> I think I just got scared. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> touring. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I've, um, it was kind of a really interesting creative process because I felt a lot of pressure creatively. The spirit in which I wrote it was like, well, I can't back Nanette up. She's quite singular. I can't just keep, you know, I'd, it'd be disingenuous to go, here's some more trauma. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I've I've dealt enough of that out. I, I just need to work on my stuff on my own. Um, <laughs> but so I think the way I approached it was to say, well, I can't back that up in the, you know, I have to create something, you know, that's content to live in the shadow of Nanette, you know, mm-hmm. because, I, I, you know, that's where I live now mm-hmm. at the moment. I'm mm-hmm. living in the shadow of Nanette. That's what this show needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I ended up writing a show that's really fun, <laughs> really fun. I like that. Yeah, I'm genuinely having fun on stage, um, uh, which is new. That is new. Um, uh, I've actually, I, would, I, would, I mean, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I am. I, yeah. I want you to have uh, a show that is giving you joy and not and not putting you through the ringer every single night. Yeah, I'm getting angry about peanuts on the plane. And <laughs> I took it from you. Know, you know, manufactured, you know. manufactured rage. That's working well for yeah. me. Yeah, you it, smashed melons for a while on stage. I know. <laughs> In your Gallagher phase. Oh, right. Am I going to die? <laughs> you were a very good prop comic yeah, right back in yeah, the day. That's something people don't know. Oh, about I've me. seen the footage. You were yeah. a master. Yeah. I used to take the microphone out of the stand. <laughs> Prowl the stage. Yeah. yeah. Amble. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually quite excited uh, about it. It's interesting. It's my first North American tour. Okay, like not really... You know, I, I did New York and a couple of dates in LA, but I really haven't haven't travelled about. So it's going to be fascinating how you know audiences receive. It's interesting now when I get standing ovations before I even get to the microphone now, and it's weird because it's like, guys, you've got to give me room <laughs> to fuck up. Like, don't like it's sort of like you just need to have some respect for yourself. <laughs> But I, I kind of understand that, that they're like they're going. Thank you for what you've already done. Like I said, I I, yes. I now live in the shadow of Nanette. Yeah. So you know, which is funny that I've created quite a light show. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote it in the spirit of like I uh, I need to not care if this fails, which is the spirit 
I wrote Nanette in. I need to not care if this, you know, does push me into the margins mm. even further. So it's like I'm prepared to artistically and creatively take a risk, and if it fails, that's fine. Wow. Um, so that's... that's... I mean, I had, I had to because I... Where I did where did I even come from? Nobody knows. Like, this is... I could just... Like, I could... But Nanette lives... You know, she lives and she's doing a thing in people's heads and it's. I know that that show has had an impact. I've done enough. <laughs> I, I can clock off now as a human, right? No, that was not the point of this podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not, not clock off yeah. as in like end my – no, just like I can just get a job at my brother's supermarket and <laughs> fruit and veg shop and just have a nice garden and stuff. Like, Yes, uh, you, you have earned the right. Yes, you have. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that permission because I know yeah. you need that from me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, but, uh, so that, but that knowing that and thinking like that gives you the creative freedom that perhaps if, you, if I invested in the wall-to-wall I have graduation. To, I have to say um, I think um, the risk that you took – to risk people's ire or dissatisfaction, feeling that this isn't a comedy show. Um, that was my Australian <laughs> accent, by the way. Pretty what? good, mate. This ain't a comedy <laughs> show. <laughs> We're all pirate mothers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Oh, fuck. That's <laughs> all a knife in a comedy show. This is a knife in a comedy show. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh. What? Isn't that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Paul Hogan's still very relevant with the young people. Yeah. In, uh, in Australia. Do you know, when I, when I, before I turned 18, I'd seen two films at the cinema. Mm-hmm. It was Milo and Otis and Crocodile Dundee 2. Wow. I hadn't oh. even seen the first. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You just saw Crocodile Dundee. You started. <laughs> Okay. Milo and Otis and Crocodile Dundee too. Two. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I was just in Australia and I was telling you that. And I think one of the big, I feel like that country's been lying to us because I went there. Ooh. And all they've done my whole life, my perspective has been Australian saying, come to Australia. You, you're going to have... <laughs> You're going to party in Australia because there's no rules and we ate a shrimp on the butt. That's all there are no rules. And I, listen, you're going to listen to this accent. This is important to me. I'm feeling it. I'm not just listening to it. I'm Pirate feeling from beyond it. You're going to come to Australia. It's crazy down here. And then I got there and it was, we have a lot of rules. <laughs> very uptight about their rules. What makes me laugh about that, you know, like, we don't care. Throw another, you know, shrimp on the bar. We don't say shrimp. We say prawns. If we really didn't care, we'd say, chuck another fucking prawn on the barbie and catch up and learn. Exactly. Like, we speak different words sometimes. Right. (laughs) And you don't drink Foster's lager. Hate it. Everyone hates it in Australia. It's cat's piss. Yeah. That's another thing. They always said Foster's, Australian for beer. No. And Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. What's also interesting is like- Do you guys have Bloomin' Onions, by the way? Is that a real thing? I don't know. What, is, what a, is it? It's uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like an onion. That's yeah, they like specifically. I love that they, the two of us I know. just jump right in. It looks like a tumbleweed or an artichoke yeah. out of an onion. It's like a fried yeah. onion that they've convinced us is an Australian delicacy. And Who's I, they? The people at Outback. Foster's. Outback. It's <laughs> well, a conspiracy. Well, the thing is, like everyone's idea of Australia. Australia is a huge country. Like we haven't mm-hmm. got a very large 
population, but it's a massive, it's massive, you know, in terms of its environment. But people think it's either like surf or the desert, mm-hmm. um, which essentially that's what it is. <laughs> it's the outlines in a desert. But I'm from Tasmania, which is another world entirely. So it's not, you know, it's more like New Zealand, really, in its uh, acceptance politics. Uh, but, um, you know, like, so it's that sort of like it's almost, you know, pe- people's idea. I don't come from people's idea of uh, Australia at the best of times. But um, I did have a meeting, <laughs> one of the meetings where I, I think it was it Warner Brothers. <laughs> That's where we are now. Yeah. This, this woman, is Warner Brothers. This woman asked me, you know, she's saying, oh, you know, talking about a particular show that she's worked on. She says, very popular in Australia. I'm not sure how popular it is in Tanzania. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! Neither am I. Um, We love rules. We have rules. Yes, they were very into rules, and they kept saying, "You know, we're very needy, very needy." And they give this impression that they're eating prawns. Do you like us? Do you like us? What do you think of Australia? Do you like us? What do you think? We're all right, aren't we? We're all right. Good on you. Yeah. Are you good on us? Yeah. It's. I love that that they were very, uh, very, very interested in in. No, this closes at this time, and no, you can't. We don't serve after this, and these are the rules, and this is the district that you're in, and that you must behave. Yeah. Did you go to the Hunger Games by mistake? <laughs> I did. There was a long train and Woody Harrelson was there. Yeah, that's... Australia. <laughs> I mean, this is a frightening tourist ad, tourism ad you've seen. I know, yeah. They yelled at me about Foster's and uh, they yelled at me about a, a shrimp, not a prawn. And I was scarred for life. Yeah, well, dig deep into that well for your comedy. That's going to be... (laughs) (laughs) Actual well of pain. Oh, wait till you see my hour 15-minute show about how I was deceived by Australian commercials in the late 70s. (laughs) The last 15 minutes, pin drop. Um, I did want to thank you uh, for busting the myth, and I believe you, that pain is necessary for for art and for inspiration because that has been one of the big struggles in my life is for years I refused to seek any help because I thought, no, I need this to be funny. And then I finally got to a point where I thought, whether I'm funny or not, I don't care. I don't want to be unhappy anymore. Yeah, yeah it's, and uh, pain's I, always going to find you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's life. That's what it is. You don't have to go looking for it, and especially not staying in it. I think there's a lot of particular. I know a lot of comedians who are like, I don't think I'll go on antidepressants. That's where my funny is, and I'm like, yeah, that's not funny. Right. It's 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 harmful. Yeah. Um. But you know. Couple of couple of shows down the track, I'll just be doing prop comedy. <laughs> I love it, and that's when the issues really set in. <laughs> You're going to work out your real pain with prop comedy. I love no, it. No, that's where the emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very different. Yeah, um, it's an honor to talk to you. It's it really wonderful. is, and uh, the name of the show—it's this throwaway line about Conan O'Brien needs a friend. The, the truth is that uh, I really do value meeting people that I admire who've done something I think profound and getting to talk to them and even just be their friend for an hour means a lot to me. So this is a big deal for me. Well, thank you. Likewise, it's been, it's been a treat. Right. There you go. It's been the podcast equivalent of a Foster's and <laughs> prawn. We're going to get money from <laughs> 
See, now you sound Australian. Yeah, it's better. Uh, oh, I hate it. All right. Thank you very much, Anna Gaz. <laughs> thank you. Hey, we haven't done this in a while. Let's do review the reviewers. So these are some of the iTunes reviews. They're all five stars that I have here. Nice. Congrats. The ones there are, I'm sure there are others that are less than five and you didn't pick those. Well, why would I? Those people should burn why don't in you their s- own special hell. Why don't you say there are none? Come on, Conan. There are none. Thank you, Siri. Okay. Why are you like that? Why am I like who? I don't know. Damaged inside? Yes. Well, let's call my parents now. (laughs) Speaking of that, best out there, five stars by Elbow68, and uh, their review is, good job, honey, mom. Oh. Well, my mom has never used a computer in her life, so that's not coming from my mom. Is that what this person's implying? I guess, yeah. No, my mom... She's a brilliant woman. Yeah, but she doesn't use computers, and if you gave her a computer, she would try to microwave (laughs) a ham sandwich with it, so (laughs) that's not from my mother. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, nice try, Elbow 68. <laughs> Lulu Kachu says, Wish I could be Conan's friend. Five stars. The podcast is, is amazing because I get to listen to my favorite comedian slash celebrity just talk and be funny and learn more about his life and the lives of people in comedy. I love learning, and who better to learn from than sexy Professor O'Brien? See, me. can I say something? That's someone who sees me as being sexual. So I don't understand this, this riff you guys have going that I'm, you know, oh, gross. Conan, how could he ever be sexual? I'm a highly sexualized being. If you listen to the last episode, we talked, uh, well, we were grossed well, out is by a- you being sexual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In, in general, uh, most people are grossed out when I in any way intimate that I may at one point. I don't think that's true. Well, my wife. Oh. <laughs> when, when Goldblum was in here, he, yeah. I mean, he pulls it off. You know what? I have to say, there is a sexual energy between Jeff Goldblum and I, and I'm not even kidding. Something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a heterosexual male, but there's something going on there. You'd mm-hmm. hit that. I'd hit that hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'd take a Louisville slugger to that. What? What? That sounds like you'd murder him. <laughs> Why don't you stick to collecting presidential memorabilia and uh, making wildly different fashion choices every time you come into this podcast For space? For fuck's sake. Yeah. Oh, look, what's tomorrow? A pork pie hat? And oh, a my God. Hey, look, he's wearing a World War I German helmet and golf shoes. I don't know. You're never good. the same guy two days in a row. What are you talking this about? This is a very different look. Just I'm take... wearing a polo shirt. I know. But then two days ago, you're like an architect from the 20s. You're no, never the I'm same. And you're you never, are dressed you're in the same, the same uniform thing. every time. Yes, because I came right from doing my show where I, in fact, wear a uniform. Yeah, but even so nice thing for yelling at the ER doctor for, hey, you're always in scrubs. I don't get it, ER doctor. Why are you always in scrubs? Why don't you change it up a little bit? Because I don't want to infect the patient whose brain I'm operating on. I'm just going to come in in Dickie's coveralls from now on. No, what I'm saying is pick a look and stick to it. It's very confusing. I'm trying no, to get... first of all, no. No, I yes. don't have to stick to a look. Yes, you do. I can express myself through sartorial ways. Listen, first of all, you're cocky because you know there's 900 other podcasts that you have going at this time. You come in and it's like, oh look, Gourley's a beekeeper. He's got a full net over his head. Who's he going to be tomorrow? Hey, look, he's he's the ambassador to Finland and it's 1911. Hey, look, he's an Arctic explorer. What am I wearing? No, today's is very different. Matt is wearing jeans and a nice sensible polo shirt. Hold up the sweater you were wearing when you came in. I didn't realize. Yeah, it's a sweater. Yeah. I didn't realize you were in the IRA and you were blowing up bridges. That's so cool. Oh, That's a nice God. God. <laughs> uh, yes, the friend bastards. Tell the Brits are out. 
I'll show y'all. Listen, Gorley, I like that you take chances and you take wildly different chances. Today, it's, you're just being a different person, that's all. Acting like I'm Lady Gaga or something. I mean, I'm just wearing pants and a shirt. Whatever. The point is not what you're wearing today, it's that it changes wildly. Okay? It doesn't change it wildly. It does change wildly. Don't you dare ever speak when I'm speaking. The idea of a podcast with three people is that only one speaks and the other two listen in reverence. In that's reverence? In reverence. You I'm hired in the rever- wrong people. In reverential yeah. awe. If I'm coming in in a hospital gown from yeah. now on. Open in the back. Seen that. What? What? God. This one took a... I mean, it took many dark turns. It didn't really. It was fantastic. You took <laughs> many direct hits. All right, let's... Please, I'm tired. Let's wrap this up. Let's uh, wrap it up. Mm. I'm going to go to bed. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Special thanks to Jack White for the theme song. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and the show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.